This is the capital of the Commonwealth. This is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. Well, you know it's a big story in the world of sports when the entire 92nd ESPN Sports Center update is devoted to one story, which is what just happened moments ago on our airwaves here at 1061 ESPN. And to be honest with you, I was ready to lead with a myriad of good TV viewing, good TV sports viewing from last night involving teams in the commonwealth and definitely i'm going to get to those and dominate a lot of our conversation with those but it was an undervalued maybe underappreciated under the radar night of sports tv viewing at least for me as it turned out if you think otherwise feel free to chime in 804-327-0888 on the air same number to text us 327-0888 Eight eight Bob Black with you here, hosting remotely on a dreary Friday afternoon. But it's a Friday afternoon, so as my guy and producer Lewis just said, it's still a feel-good Friday afternoon, even though it's a little bit messy out there. And it's messy and cold out there today. But look, we knew it was coming. The meteorologists were right on this one. They warned us about it. We knew today would be like it is. Hopefully the weekend is going to be better, although cooler. But, heck, it's November 10th already. It's time for the leaves to change, which they are, and the temperatures to change, which they are starting to do. I don't like it, but I know it's coming, and it's all part of the beauty of living in Virginia, where we get all the different seasons, and we enjoy them, and we deal with them moving forward. So, anyway, we'll make it a feel-good Friday edition on the Sports Auto. And as I said, um, I really did find myself flipping around to some amazing games involving state teams last night that I definitely want to touch upon as we move along this afternoon. I was watching the Louisville-UVA football game last night, which was way better than I think any of us thought it was going to be. Cavs were down 14 nothing at halftime, and you wondered if Louisville would just blow them out in the second half, and that never happened. Uh, the gritty Virginia Cavaliers, gutsy Virginia Cavaliers, came all the way back, took a 21-14 lead. It seesawed back and forth, and then Louisville made a couple of big plays to win that game, and boy, did they dodge a bullet for their postseason hopes with that win. They couldn't afford to lose to a 2-7, and seven, now 2-8 and eight team at home and still have any intention on being in the conversation in the college football playoff or any major bowl game, for that matter, if they couldn't have won that game last night. And then, of course, the overriding story in that game was the condition of Paris Jones, the UVA running back who took an ungodly hit on the fumble that was picked up by his teammate Malik Washington, returned for a touchdown, and all the joy and celebration quickly turned uh, to Paris Jones laying there on the field motionless, was taken off on a stretcher to a local Louisville hospital. Fortunately, the news is good today that he has regained movement in all of his extremities. But there was a time last night that that was a really sober, sombering, terrifying moment 
in that game. Um, so we hope for the best for Paris Jones. They have been way through way too much at Virginia in the last year. They certainly didn't need anything more like that happening, and hopefully he's going to be okay. Whether he ever plays football again or not really doesn't matter. Would love for that to happen in the last couple of games of the season, but if not, as long as he's able to walk on that field and go through senior day and be with his teammates, that's a win for Paris Jones and his UVA teammates. So we'll continue to update you on that one. So anyway, so I'm, I'm watching that game, but then I'm checking my phone and I'm seeing the score of the James Madison-Kent State game, and now I'm getting intrigued by that. I went to ESPN+. Plus. Uh, which is a great thing, by the way. If you don't have it, I highly advocate that you do get it. Uh, the prices have gone up over time. It was a great deal when it first started out several years ago, but it's still a really good deal. You can watch virtually any game across the country on your phone, your iPad. I'm not trying to be a spokesperson for them on your TV, but it is what it is. And I watched uh, the end of JMU and Kent State which I thought was going to end at regulation, and then I thought it was going to end at the end of the first overtime, and then it didn't end until the second overtime. And James Madison, for the second time in four days, with a signature win. I don't know if it was better than Michigan State. Probably not, because Michigan State was a top-five team in the country. But to do what JMU did, first of all, to rally from five points down with 3.8 seconds to go in regulation and tie the game and send it to the overtime, and then seemingly have it won in the overtime only to commit a turnover that allowed Kent State to hit a three and send it to a second overtime, and then for JMU with three of its starters having already fouled out to persevere and still win that game like three days after winning at Michigan State. Remember they were on the bus on Tuesday already to go to Kent State to play on Thursday and then bus all the way back home. I mean, what an amazing story for James Madison men's basketball and overall for JMU athletics. It just keeps getting better and better. I actually ran into a JMU fan in the Robin Center of all places today who's also a Spider fan, but he went to JMU, and he was like on cloud nine. And why not? Any JMU fan should be embracing this and enjoying this. Pretty much every which way you turn to any JMU sport, something good seems to be happening right now. And it's it's men's basketball's turn. This was their week. I know football is coming off another win and gets another opportunity tomorrow against UConn and all of that, and they've got soccer and field hockey teams and the NCAA tournament, but this was men's basketball week for JMU to knock off Michigan State to start the season on Monday night and go right back at it in this Max Sunbelt Challenge, which I didn't even know was a thing. I must admit that these games were set up by the conferences, which was a very good idea to get some mid-major competition amongst them. It can only help their net rankings and their postseason chances. And this was as good a one as you're going to find. James Madison at Kent State and the Duke snapping Kent State's 23-game home court win streak with a double overtime victory. An amazing game, an amazing win for James Madison. So there was that. And then casually, I was checking out the Iowa-Virginia Tech women's basketball game down there in Charlotte as part of uh, first events of the season for these teams. And the men are taking the center stage in the Queen City today and tonight. And we're going to talk more about that because we've got a triple header back down there in Charlotte tonight and today involving the men's teams 
and each one of those games has a state team involved with it. Liberty is about to play at 4.30, and then you got Virginia, and then you got Virginia Tech. Uh, that is a great a couple of days of college basketball in Charlotte because the women put on quite a show last night uh, when uh, Virginia Tech played Iowa in one of those games, and what a performance that Caitlin Clark put in in that game for Virginia Tech. Only, you know, how do you score 31 points and you get overshadowed? Well, that's what happened because Georgia Amor scored 31. She hit a half-court shot at the end of one of the quarters, I think the first quarter when the Hokies were were going on a run, and it was a great game, and they had like 15,000 at Charlotte for that game last night. Iowa, the number three team, knocked off number eight Virginia Tech at the end, 80-76. to But another uh, dazzling exhibition of women's college basketball last night in Charlotte. So you had all three of those going last night. And yet uh, today I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to start talking about one of them. And I know I have. I've just spent like eight minutes talking about them. But I haven't like dug into them the way I really thought I would to start the show because of the news that you just heard about the Michigan football program and at least for the moment the penalty that's coming down on the Wolverines and Jim Harbaugh. And I say for the moment because I've got to believe there's an appeal coming here and there'll be some sort of court case and some sort of quick ruling before tomorrow. So the Big Ten, at least according to ESPN, is disciplining Michigan for the in-person scouting, the using of cell phones and video to steal signs, all of that that we've been talking about for days on end now. And this is kind of why I bring it up close to the top of the show. doesn't have a whole lot of local content to it. When We like to stick as local as we can, at least at the outset. But we've been talking about it so much, and our coaches have been weighing in on it so much uh, that I do think it's relevant to everyone. So apparently the Big Ten has decided the punishment will be to suspend Jim Harbaugh, the Michigan coach, for the remaining regular season games of the year. So that means Penn State tomorrow at Penn State, Maryland in College Park next week, and then, of course, the rivalry game against Ohio State, which will be at the big house this year, which will be at home for Michigan. And you got to believe Michigan is going to appeal this. They're going to take it to court. Uh, I would imagine they will at least get a stay and no decision is going to be made immediately, which will allow Jim Harbaugh to coach tomorrow. It's like any other suspension that gets handed down, particularly I would use a sport like Major League Baseball when they hand down a suspension for you know a beanball incident or a fight or an ejection where maybe you bump an umpire and they suspend a manager or a player for 10 games and they appeal it. Well, he can continue to play or manage until the appeal is held. So I imagine that's what's going to happen in this case, and Harbaugh would be on the sideline tomorrow against Penn State. I will say this. I think this is a relatively penalty-fits-the-crime kind of discipline here. Uh, They've already gotten rid of the guy who was accused of doing the sign-stealing illegally by going to other games as an employee of the University of Michigan and – um I'm trying to think what else they did you know they they did that part of it for sure so I, you know and this doesn't hurt the guys on the team right i mean they can, they'll play these games without jim harbaugh on the field he can practice with them all week if he wants you know which he will do 
and he just won't be there for the game. It's very reminiscent of what um, McNeese State's going through with Will Wade right now. He's, he's able to coach his team all the way up to midnight on game day, and then he can't be around the team for the day of the game. And obviously it was okay with them when they beat VCU on Monday. So I don't know that that's such a bad thing. We'll talk a little bit more about this as we move along, get to the River City Rundown here in just a moment. But maybe that's the penalty that fits the crime here. I don't know. They're 9-0. and They're ranked third. It's a pretty significant three games. I will say that, right? On the road to Penn State, on the road at Maryland, and home against Ohio State. But it, it doesn't directly impact his players other than on game day. And I do think they have competent coaches and coordinators who probably carry out many of the strategic plays that happen during the course of a game. Big decision, big picture stuff is still a head coach. I get that. But this this might be okay. My first brush, and again, we're just seeing all this, is indeed that maybe maybe this is the way to do it. We're not gonna for, we're not gonna make them not be in a bowl game. They can be in the college football playoff. Doesn't seem like they're gonna lose any money out of this deal either. And the head coach isn't gonna be on the sideline for three games. And we're all gonna agree that it was something that was against the rules, but it's not the end of the world. And we're going to move on after it. And they're being punished for being stupid and careless and, you know, egregious in what they did. And a little callous, too, to figure that nobody was ever going to figure this out or point the finger at him. So we'll we'll see moving on. I, and, again, I think he's probably going to wind up coaching tomorrow because there will be some sort of appeal that would put a stay to the penalty. And until the appeal is held, he's going to be allowed to coach on the sideline. But at the moment... That's the penalty for Jim Harbaugh and Michigan on the illegal sign-stealing activities of the Wolverines. Head coach, not on the sideline for Penn State, Maryland, and Ohio State. He would certainly be back for any bowl game or college football playoff. All right, there's your first segment of the Sports Auto. we got a lot to chew on today. We're going to keep doing it up until 6 o'clock on this afternoon's edition of the Sports Huddle. Here's what's coming up on today's sports huddle. Just a huge fan of sports. This is the River City Rundown. River City Rundown presented by the Richmond chapter of the American Red Cross. We had Jonathan McNamara on our show yesterday. Tell us about their hiring event that's coming up this Tuesday, the 14th of November. So if you're looking to join a great local organization, here's a great opportunity. Just stop by the Red Cross headquarters, 2825 Emerywood Parkway between 830 and 5 Tuesday. Now to learn more about open positions, the benefits that come along with them, how you can set up an in-person interview, you can visit redcross.org. Again, that's this coming Tuesday, November 14th, 8.30 to 5 for their hiring event at the Red Cross headquarters, 2825 Emerywood Parkway. Talk some NFL football at the bottom of the hour with Washington Post reporter and writer Cindy Boren. We haven't had Cindy on in quite some time, so it'll be good to catch back up with her. We'll talk about all of the young quarterbacks who have made their debut in the NFL this season and maybe size up some of the games this coming week, including the Commanders looking to make it back-to-back wins. They're out in Seattle this weekend for a game against the Seahawks. So Cindy joins us at 4.30. We'll talk primarily some NFL football with her. At 5.30, um, the travel-weary voice of the JMU Dukes, Dave Riggert, is going to join us. I mean, you talk about crossover season. Dave knows all about that between JMU basketball and JMU football. He's literally been crisscrossing the country. 
He called their game at Michigan State on Monday night. He was back on the bus with the Dukes on Tuesday and back on the bus after the game last night and getting ready for JMU football on Saturday and another basketball game on Sunday, and yet he's able to squeeze in some time. We might have to set a wake-up call for him because i got to believe he's napping or resting at this point. He told me this morning he got home about 6 o'clock this morning from the trip to Kent State. But he'll be raring and ready to go for us. He's going to tell us all about those two JMU basketball games, a little bit of a preview on their game with UConn on the football field at Bridgeforth tomorrow. Dave Rigger, play-by-play voice of the JMU Dukes, will be with us at 5.30 this afternoon. 804-327-0888 if you'd like to be a part of the show. Text line as well, 327-0888. First break on the Sports Auto 1061 ESPN. Jamie King, Big Al, Matt Josephs, and Bob Black. What could these four names possibly have in common? Not all too much. Are you listening? You ready? But they all talk sports, and they can be heard on these airwaves. Are you ready? Keep it locked on 1061 ESPN Richmond for the best local sports talk in town. So we got uh, Cindy Boren from the Washington Post coming up bottom of the hour to talk some NFL. I got to give a little shout out um, to one of their other reporters um, who has a little bit more detailed information and a shout out to my guy, Lewis, for sending this one my way out of the Washington Post. A little bit more detail on the Paris Jones injury, and maybe I just missed this along the way, and I was watching the game last night, and maybe I just wasn't, you know, as zeroed in on it as I, I should have been. Matt Bonesteel wrote the story for the Washington Post mid-morning this morning with the update that everybody had that Parrish Jones has regained movement in his extremities, which is the most important and probably the only information that you you, you know you really need to know. But the injury occurred, and, and also kudos to ESPN. They showed it once. They showed the replay once, primarily because they were showing the play, because it was a highlight play. Parrish Jones fumbled the ball when he got hit. Malik Washington scoops it up and scores. Scoop and score for an offensive guy. Big play for Virginia. A lot of celebration going on until they realized what had happened. So they did show the replay once. But after that, obviously, in deference to Paris Jones and the situation, they didn't show the replay again. And there are a couple of things that, that I didn't realize. So Cameron Kelly was the Cardinal defensive player, the Louisville defensive player, who hit him. And you could see in real time and on the replay that both of them kind of lowered their heads as the play was was happening and that there was going to be a collision. We all know this is, you know, a contact collision driven sport. Uh, Tony Elliott in this story, and I, I know it was in his press conference, said, look, it's a very, very difficult reality of the sport that we play every play can end like that and you don't wish that for everyone uh, certainly and then what i learned that i didn't know and probably virginia fans know this all too well and maybe i should have known it in the ensuing 20 hours that have transpired um but the defender for louisville cameron kelly was actually a virginia cavalier this off season that he had transferred from north carolina to uva he went through all of uh, the offseason in Charlottesville with the Cavaliers uh, through the spring game, and then after the spring game, transferred again and went to Louisville. And, I mean, how bitterly ironic is that, that he then becomes the guy 
who hits Paris Jones, forces the fumble, but their helmets definitely collided as they both kind of went down. And in um, the article in the Washington Post, Kelly told reporters after the game that Jones went low, so he went low in an attempt to tackle him. That seems like a reasonable football play. And again, just unfortunate where the two heads and helmets collided. And as Kelly said after the game, I'm just praying for him. I said my piece to him when he was on the stretcher. I've got nothing but love for him. I hope he has a speedy recovery. Um, as awful and tragic as this is for Paris Jones, and we're hoping that he continues to regain um, all movement, which apparently he has, and he's going to be okay. It, it's tough on the other guy, too. I, I mean, I realize he wasn't injured, but mentally and emotionally, that's a tough thing to go through. And then you add on top of that, I'm sure he knows Paris Jones because they were teammates for a while, and Kelly was a former Virginia Cavalier. And you could kind of see the way that game changed from an attitude standpoint after that play, understandably, justifiably so. The hitting probably wasn't quite as hard. The emotion probably wasn't at its peak. There wasn't as much friction between the two teams. There had been some of that earlier in the game. I think everybody just kind of went about their business and played the rest of that game as businesslike as they could. There was emotion at the end, of course, because Louisville rallied and won what was a very important game for them. But, but man, there were a lot of different twists and turns, not only to that game, but to that injury situation and, and the two players, as it turned out, that, that were involved in that. So uh, pretty good stuff there. Thank you, Lewis. Thanks for forwarding that Washington Post story. I, I think we've had Matt Bone Steele on at some point uh, before, so he kind of unearthed that in the story. And like I said, as a Virginia fan, if you're out there, you probably knew that already, but I hadn't realized that part of uh, the storyline to that play last night. I feel for Virginia, too. I mean, I, I, let me say this real quick, and then we'll get to the break, because Cindy's coming up uh, from the Washington Post. We'll talk some NFL um, with her. But anybody who thinks anything's coming at UVA other than full 100% support of Tony Elliott after everything they've been through the last couple of years and the way they continue to attack the game and play and be together, um, he will be given every opportunity to continue to turn this thing around. Look, they're 2-8, and eight, and they could be on their way to 2-10. and 10. I mean, at best, they're going to be 4-8, and eight, and that's not very good. But with a, a young quarterback like Calandria and picking up Malik Washington, um, you know, and, and the young guys they have on defense, the pick six, all of that, uh, they've beaten North Carolina. They had a chance at Louisville on the road as well last night. Uh, you got to give him all the support you can possibly give him and the time and the resources to turn this thing around because I think there are there are signs here that Virginia has a shot if they get the support that they need and he makes the right moves and the right decisions and Anthony Calandria to me is one of them that should be their quarterback because he provides them a spark um, and they put some pieces around him uh, Virginia still has a shot here moving forward. Nobody likes to be patient. Fans don't like to be patient. But in their case, I, I think you should be patient with Virginia football and, and see where Tony Elliott and his crew might take this team in the years to come. All right, break time. Cindy Boren from the Washington Post will join us. We'll talk some NFL as we get into week 10 of the season. She's got an interesting twist on all the young quarterbacks who have appeared in NFL games so far this season. We'll talk some NFL with Cindy Boren of the Washington Post next on the Sports Huddle. The right way. The royal way. Jamie King is live weekday morning 7 to 8 to kick off a full day of sports analysis. Here on 106.1 ESPN Richmond.
and wait for it to yeah. get started in September and then snap your fingers and you're right. We're more than yep. halfway through uh, the regular season. And as we approach week 10, I love your story uh, in the Washington Post today, washingtonpost.com uh, slash sports. Check out Cindy Boren's column on this week in the NFL and a unique record in the NFL, I guess you would call it that, that's going to be broken this weekend. Um, first of all, how did you think about this? Where did this kind of proliferate, percolate from to even think about this? And the subject matter here is number of rookie quarterbacks making a start in an NFL game. Well, it's not unique to me. Um, there had been a, a bit of buzz and chatter about it last week when uh, it reached nine which tied uh, the record. I think it was uh, from 2019 off the top of my head. And before that, I think it was 1950 or, you know, without the throwing out the strike year, of course, of 87 when the replacement players were used. But um, it it's not a good thing. <laughs> I don't think that's really a surprise to anyone. But, um, you know, you've got, of course, some of the, some of the quarterbacks were the draft picks, you know, the, the sexy draft picks, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young. Uh, but you've got a bunch of other people that you couldn't pick out of a lineup. And, um, you know, I, I, I remember, I, I think there was a, a point in the Kelsey Brothers podcast uh, before the season where Travis Kelsey tried to name the NFL coaches in the annual picture, you know, from the banquet mm-hmm. that, that they have mm-hmm. every year. And I confess, a colleague and I do that, too, because the picture is always so funny. And they look so different. I mean, you know, we watch these all of these games. We look at these guys constantly, a lot more than Travis Kelsey does and um, during a game. And it's the same now with the quarterbacks. After so many years of, you know, just seeing so many dominant quarterbacks, you've got all of these guys that nobody really recognizes. No, no, kind no, of fun. They're... Not only don't they recognize their faces, they don't recognize these names. Like I'm looking at your list on the on your story, and I think if you just put those names in alphabetical order and put them in front of just a casual football or NFL fan, they would have no idea what position they played, what team they were on, or that they were even NFL players. Right? This is an NFL player. (laughs) He went to Shepherd. What? What is Shepherd? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, we're all excited to see somebody like Brock Purdy, who was the last pick, you know, in the draft, mm-hmm. of course, that celebrated Mr. Irrelevant, get a chance and do well because that's always a great story and it's fun and you you like to see. Oh, I don't know, even Tom Brady, who I believe was the 199th pick, uh, you know, he might tell you that um, <laughs> in the draft. You know, it's great to see somebody like that come along and and succeed just out of the blue, someone you don't expect. Um, you know, Gardner Minshew was a great story a couple of years ago when he had had a, 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 some success. So, you know, it's it's weird. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. It's weird. <laughs> why why do you think this has happened, Cindy? And I, I mean that more than just you know. Obviously, injuries were a part of this, but yeah. a, a lot of teams would have a, a veteran backup quarterback, a name we would have recognized, who would have been a replacement, as opposed to some of these low round draft picks or undrafted guys who are getting starts at the highest level of professional football. Well, you know, look at the Cardinals and the Kyler Murray situation. He wasn't ready to play. Then they didn't really appear to be in, in, in any hurry to bring him along uh, in Cleveland, which is a little different situation. But, um, you know, Deshaun Watson had the mystery shoulder injury, and it was like, well, you know, shouldn't shouldn't 
somebody have better backups than this? <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think there's also a kind of a conceit among coaches. Oh, yeah, we can coach them up and it'll, it'll be just mm-hmm. fine. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, um, the offensive coordinators get so much attention, you know, to, for coming up with genius moves. And, and uh, I think that's a little overrated. But, um, you know, I mean, look at the commanders. Uh, they have Sam Howell. Sam Howell? Okay, he's leading the NFC in passing now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you just never know. Well, I was going to talk about some of the games that you capsulized <laughs> with some really interesting uh, factoids, nuggets, and I'll start with the Commanders since we talk so much about them here anyway. They got a chance <laughs> to get to 500 this week, but but your opening line on that game is just so alarming, and they got a chance to rectify it this weekend, Cindy. Washington has yet to beat a team with a winning record. Yeah, but on the other hand, let's be positive, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> they have their, their best record is against of any te- against any team on the road is in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why would you not think that they could win? Yep. They're a, a victory away from 500, a game out of playoff contention. Yeah, I was hoping that they they maybe throw together a decent October and get to 500 or maybe even, you know, five and three after, after October, but Hey, they're four and five, such as, such as life. And, um, you know, they've gotten rid of two, two pass rushers and Montez sweat and Chase young, which I don't know. I, I was probably more upset about the Montez sweat, um, departure, Mm -hmm. I think than maybe chase young, but, um, just based on injuries and such, but, um, um, they they've had a lot of success in Seattle, and so why not? Uh, now, of course, um, Seattle. You know, Seattle's got a better record. Uh, they're five and three. And uh, didn't Seattle go into Detroit and beat Detroit in yep. Detroit? So yep. you know, um, it, it just, I don't mean to underestimate Seattle at all, but. You know, it's it's where we always are with the commanders. You know, maybe they'll put together a little a little string here. The problem is the division is tough. Um, you know, they can't really be the third team. It's going to be difficult for them to be the third team qualified for the playoffs if three come out of that division. If if that can happen. Yeah, which leads me to uh, the other team in in our region that that we talk a decent amount about, and that's Ra- the Ravens in in yeah. Baltimore, and they're in just the opposite situation in the AFC North, where all four of those teams, right? If the playoffs started today, they've got four of the best records um, in the AFC, right? And they're they're rolling. Yeah. I mean, the Ravens are playing as well as anybody in the NFL. Yeah, they really are. It's it's just ridiculous, frankly, and um, <laughs> and I mean in, in a good way. Um, mm-hmm. They've blown out um, Detroit and Seattle by like I think it was seventy-five to nine, if I remember uh, my calculations on that. Um, they outgained Seattle by nearly four hundred yards. Um, you know, Cleveland's got a really good defense. I don't have to tell you that Jim Schwartz is a really smart defensive coordinator, and that Miles Garrett is terrific. Um, a lot of people are, are saying he's the defensive player of the year, and I might be one of them right now. Um, but, you know, a lot of people have moved them to the top spot mm-hmm. in the NFL, in their NFL rankings. And mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to argue against it. I know, you know, I know the Chiefs are 7-2, and two, um, but 
Boy, it's hard to argue against the Ravens. It really is. Um, I'm absolutely with you on that. The way they, They're not just beating teams. They are taking them up one wall and down the other. No, no mistake about that. If they can that. stay healthy. Yep. They've got, you know, that's, always the, that's always the problem with the Ravens of late. It sure is. Uh, to circle back to our original premise on the kind of no-name quarterbacks, I think everybody gave the Vikings up for dead. You know, when oh. Kirk Cousins goes down <laughs> with the injury, their record was not good even with Kirk Cousins, and now they got this Josh Dobbs guy, and they're five and four, and they're right back in this thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know, of course the Lions in, in the Lions are are hot in that division. That's mm-hmm. that's tough, but you know. Why would you not think that they could they could put together a run here? Um, if <laughs> once Josh Dobbs actually gets to know the names of the people on the team, <laughs> um, you know he was talking about how it was like taking an AP Spanish class and showing up for the day of the you know day of the exam, and all of a sudden it was an exam in AP French, and it's it's like yeah you know it, I mean they just they were drawing it up in the dirt and it worked um, because Jalen Hall. One of these unheralded people got a concussion, so Josh Dobbs got pressed into duty. And, you know, I think everybody hated to see what happened to poor Kirk Cousins. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he left he left here on, on good terms, and, and I think people kind of look at Cousins and, and still have a little bit of a soft spot in their heart for him. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the way it goes. And <laughs> who knew that the Vikings were going to pull that out? But uh, we'll see what Josh Dobbs can do. I mean, they play the Saints at home. They could win that game, yeah, right? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. I think you're onto something there. I do. A couple more for you. Cindy Bourne from the Washington Post with us in the remaining time that we've got. One of the better games of the day, and they didn't put it in the 4 o'clock window, is the 49ers and Jags, right? They're, they're <laughs> playing the 1 o'clock game on Fox, and, and here's a Jacksonville team that, as you said, has won five in a row, and the 49ers are looking to snap a losing streak, aren't they? The 49ers are stumbling. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe Chase Young will be what they need. Uh, mm. You know, they've had the injuries with Trent Williams, <laughs> former Washingtonian, yep. and Debo Samuel. Um, and it, they've been, you know, they're rested. They had an off week. So maybe, you know, maybe that will help. Um, and I guess Seattle getting blown out meant that they moved, I believe, up to the top spot in the NFC West by default. But, um, you know, I... I'm kind of high on the Jaguars, too, out of the AFC East. Um, I'm not convinced that the Chiefs can't be beaten this year. I don't think it will be the Bills, but I could see the Jaguars or the Ravens. Um, those are my, my two. Or the Bengals. You know, the Bengals are going get to get hot here, I think. So I think those any of the three of those could, could topple the, the Chiefs this year, hmm. even though their defense is playing terribly well. So to put ourselves into the rearview mirror, did you even peek in at all on the the Panthers and the Bears last night in, in Chicago? <laughs> well, no, because I don't like to wake up screaming in the middle of the night. So, um, uh, yeah, I did for a little bit. I I did um, mostly uh, to see what how Al Michaels would handle it. Because, oh boy, <laughs> you know, I mean. He's got to be sitting there saying, I'm 77, 78 years old, but I'm getting paid well. <laughs> you know, so here I am. Um, it, it uh, yeah, that was not a good game. But, but the following, the next week, if you can just wait a week, <laughs> you get uh, the Bengals and the Ravens. Yep. 
Yep, much, much, much better. And actually, there are some decent games uh, this week as, as we wrap it up. And as you point out, even at the beginning, this is a week, you know, without the Chiefs, without the Dolphins, yep. without the Eagles, three of the best teams in the NFL are on their bye week this week, right? Yeah, good job, NFL scheduler. <laughs> uh, you know, God, you're going to put them all off this week. But, um, um, yeah, there's some decent games. Um, I'm curious to see. The Jets are always interesting just mm-hmm. because – you want to see if they can hang in there until Aaron Rodgers miraculously heals. Um, and, and, you know, I think everybody's interested to see what continues to happen with the Patriots. I mean, mm. it's hard to watch. Heaven knows uh, you don't really need to watch the game, but, it, you know, you're always kind of keeping an eye on it just to see how that's going to resolve itself with, with Bill Belichick. Mm. Um, the the Monday night game, I don't know, Broncos and Bills. Yeah. <laughs> Denver's yeah. defense is playing better. Um, so, you know, maybe that'll be an entertaining game. But it's certainly not as great as it was last Sunday where every single game in every window from uh, on Sunday from 9.30 a.m. in Germany until the night game was just, mm-hmm. you know, a banger. Well, as we started this conversation, you know, whatever the games are, we need to enjoy them and embrace them because, as you said, we're already into week 10, half, more than halfway through the season. So, yeah, it's almost Thanksgiving. It's time for football on Thanksgiving Day. So we, we need to slow it down, enjoy it, and embrace it. Very entertaining perspective you had with us today and in your column, Cindy. Uh, appreciate it. Let's catch up again uh, with a snap of a finger before we get to week 17 and 18 of the NFL season. All right? Take care. It sounds great. Let's do it. All right. There you go. Cindy Board for the Washington Post. Thank you so much for spending the time with us this afternoon. And, uh, yeah, I mean, 10 rookie NFL quarterbacks have made a start this season. And really, as she pointed out, only three of them probably by choice, right? You would say Bryce Young by choice and C.J. Stroud certainly by choice. Anthony Richardson until he got hurt with Indianapolis. The other is pretty much, you know, forced into duty. Some of them, you know, like Will Levis, we certainly wanted to see uh, a second-round pick by Tennessee. And then others whose names we never really heard of, like Tyson Badgen. He's the one from Division II Shepherd College or Clayton Toon. Like Sam Howe, fifth-round pick uh, for for Arizona. We, we talked about what Minnesota has been doing. Uh, she also... Uh, mentioned Tommy DeVito, uh, formerly of Syracuse, and Illinois, who will start for the Giants uh, this week. So 10 rookie quarterbacks have made a start in the NFL this season. And as Cindy said, probably not a good thing. Unless all 10 of them were first, second-round draft picks and teams were doing that because that's their future, that'd be one thing. But most of them have been pressed into duty um, because of either miserable play or miserable injuries or a combination of both. So a pretty entertaining perspective around the NFL this week. Uh, Cindy Bourne from the Washington Post. Get a break in here. We'll take you up to the top of the hour in the ESPN Sports Center update as we head towards 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Sports out of 1061 ESPN. 12 games a year. I think they're going to be seesawing back and forth around that 500 mark, so it's probably time for the seesaw to go down and a loss come the commander's way this weekend. Maybe it's a reverse jinx for them. I don't know. Uh, but I'll be watching that one and a couple other games this weekend as well, uh, but probably not with the intensity that I normally would be uh, watching. Probably a good week for those teams to get a break, by the way, for the Chiefs, Dolphins, Eagles. The Rams are the fourth team that has a bye uh, this week as we go in. Yeah, to week 10 already. 
of the of the NFL season. And no, I got to admit, I didn't watch any of the game last night. I could have. I do get that Amazon Prime, but I did not watch the one and seven Panthers and the two and seven Bears. Uh, like I said, I was glued on those other games involving our Commonwealth teams, and we'll talk more about them as we get into the five o'clock hour of the sports huddle. ESPN Sports Center update coming. They got more on the Michigan situation and much more. And we're back on the other side as we officially get to the weekend. Five o'clock on a Friday is coming up. Uh, Lewis producing this afternoon, feeding me all sorts of good stories to talk about as well. We're going to get into them and much more after the ESPN Sports Center update. And then back on the other side as uh, darkness descends upon us right at the five o'clock hour on a Friday afternoon and lots of great college basketball tonight that we'll be telling you about after the sports center update next on 1061 espn invigorating design craft 